0: Brian Smith asked me when he was hooking me up with the microphone whether or not the sermon was going to be epic today, since I shared the word epic about 50 million times last week in the sermon. What other word can you use to talk about the return of Jesus Christ than epic? Oh man, epic indeed. What also is epic is last week when I got a chance to play airsoft with a bunch of the Crossfire teen boys. And they lent me one of their airsoft machine guns, was their pastor epically machine gunning them down. <laughs> and uh, I took a few bullets myself. Um, but we had a great time um, together, enjoying just some fun and laughter. And I'm so thankful to be able to pastor and care for the adults and parents of our church along with John, but also our, our teens and our children. Love you guys, and so excited for the topic today, you must be ready, you must be ready. We're going to read a lot of scripture this morning for this session here, this opening session. We're going to read um, Matthew 24, um, beginning in verse 32 all the way to 51, and then if you could kind of flip also and get your finger in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, we're going to read uh, a lengthy portion of 1 Thessalonians 2, so... Matthew chapter 24, verse 32. Would you read God's Word together with me? From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that He is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to read through the 5 verse 11. Let's read. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, concerning brotherly love, we have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that, indeed, is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, amen, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you. Like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. You must be ready. Let's, play, let's pray together. Oh, almighty God, I pray that this sermon would be used, Holy Spirit, by your power and anointing to just build us up and Edify us greatly and cause all of us, Lord, to to live trusting in Christ and live ready for the return of Christ. And to live faithful, sober-minded, watchful, longing for and awaiting your return. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have any of you seen the lightning bugs lately? <sighs> Aren't they glorious? You know, I, I just marvel. I was just driving up the other night down a road and just looking through a cornfield. And, you know, it could just be a cornfield out there. And God's got to light it up. And it just it brings tears to my eyes to think of a God that's so awesome that just a beautiful cornfield... Isn't enough. He's got to light it up. Lightning bugs are our state bug in Pennsylvania. Did you know that? (laughs) Something I learned from my kids this year. And I was, as I was driving and looking at the lightning bugs the other evening um, with my wife Shannon, and we were marveling. Oh, and let us stop and take notice of that, brothers and sisters. As I was marveling, I thought of the church that God has made us like lightning bugs, that as it grows darker, we are the light of the world, that we reflect the light of Jesus Christ and His glory into this dark world, even in these last days, and the, the difference in the effect is visible. It can be seen. And, and you know what? As the darkness grows darker into the late evening... The lightning bugs just shine all the brighter. And I was thinking about that and thinking about our just current spot here in our series in relation to the return, the glorious return of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at that a little bit more fully here today. But, you know, it says in prophet Isaiah that the people living in darkness have seen a great light. I was prophesied about in relation to Jesus coming and his incarnation and the little baby in Born in a manger shines so brightly in his glory. And the salvation he brought brought light into this dark world. It's so brilliant. It's like a spotlight that lights up. As Christ has ascended, and as we await his return, We've been told in the scriptures in Acts chapter 2 that these are the last days from the time of the ascension of Christ to the second coming of Christ. We are in the last days. Indeed, First John chapter 2 describes these days as the last hour. There's an urgency that we're called to live with as Christians and to carry a burden, to shine for Jesus, as John Reyes so often says. And as the days go forward, we're told and admonished in the Scriptures that the days are going to grow darker, that this world is going to grow darker as the end progresses to the very end. And there will be many, many antichrists leading up to the great antichrist, as the Scriptures point out, and the spirit of the antichrist is everywhere, and the darkness in the nations and the rejection of Jesus and the rejection of the gospel is going to deepen. However, take hope because in the midst of that growing darkness, as we've looked at in the context here in Matthew 24, the gospel is going to go forth to the nations. And we talked about this, that it's going to be like night lights being plugged in in every room of a darkening house. And, and, and in every room, even down into the very basement of the house, there's going to be night lights lighting up the way. In this darkening world, in this ever deepening darkness before the return of Jesus. And so we need to be aware and realistic about the reality of this present world and this present darkness as Ephesians 6 talks about. But we also need to take comfort and hope that as the darkness deepens, the light of Christ shining out from the people of Christ is going to shimmer in the night sky, more brilliant and more beautiful than lightning bugs over a cornfield. And you know, I was driving home the other night. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but sometimes in certain trees. And we saw this. Daniel, Kate, Daniel, and Caitlin Crocker and I were driving home from. I was. I'm, I had the honor of mentoring them, getting them ready for going to Croatia this fall to go and serve as missionaries out from our church, which I'm so thankful for. There was a tree, and apparently these lightning bugs all said, hey, let's gather together and congregate in this tree. And so I'm just driving down the street, and all of a sudden Daniel's like, whoa, look at that. I had to hit my brakes, and there was nobody around, so I backed up, and there was this tree. Have you ever seen this? Lightning bugs just gathering together in the darkness and shimmering in the thousands very close in proximity to one another, And it was glorious. You know what? That's like us, church. Gathering together in the assembly like we are today to hear the word of God. And although there's so much about us, it still struggles with remaining indwelling sin. And there's so many areas where we all need to grow. God has changed us. He has saved us. And he's called us out of darkness into his great light. And you know what? There's so many things that we need to all grow in. But you know what? We do shine. You do shine, Christ community. And you shine more beautiful to Jesus than lightning bugs gathering together in a beautiful tree to shine in the darkness. But oh, I'm inspired, motivated by the lightning bugs. And I love watching Christians shine for Jesus. Love watching you, church shine for Jesus. I hope these messages on the Olivet Discourse are inspiring all of us to run all the harder and cling all the closer to our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for us, who rose again, who ascended, who is currently seated on his throne, whom we await and who will return gloriously and triumphantly for the ultimate salvation of his church. He reigns, but His reign is going to become direct, immediate, uncontested, and universal very soon at the second coming of Christ. That's the next event that we all look forward to, and the final event when Christ returns and calls us home. Oh, what joy is going to fill our heart, those of us who are true believers. And so this morning... As we look at this Olivet Discourse, Jesus, the week before He dies, prophesying to His disciples about what's going to happen to the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, and also prophesying to us, His church, about the distresses, the philipsis, the the tribulations that are going to last during the entire period of the last days until the second coming of Christ. Let us Remember Jesus walking out of the east gate of Jerusalem right before He dies. Climbing up in the Mount of Olives and sitting there and overlooking the temple. Prophesying that within this generation, the temple is going to be destroyed. Judgment is going to come upon the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem will be absolutely destroyed. But, God preserves his people. And God advances his gospel, even in the midst of the distresses of these last days and these tribulations of these last days. God advances his gospel. One nation, one people group at a time. The night lights get plugged in and the darkness cannot stop the advance of the gospel. Satan cannot stop, no matter how much he rages, the advancement of the gospel through Christ's bride, his church. Take heart and take comfort in our awesome God and in his imminent return. We're going to look at three points this morning. First, live trusting. Live trusting. Secondly, live ready. And thirdly, live faithful. So live trusting, live ready, and live faithful. Let's look firstly at live trusting. Look at uh, verse 32 and 33 here. You see the lesson of the fig tree. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So these... These, uh, distresses that Jesus is talking about in verses 4 through 26 are being talked about here. These, these, uh, times that from the time He ascends all the way to 70 AD, He's, He's real prophesying and speaking here to His disciples in this immediate context. He's speaking to this generation that's alive at 30 AD all the way to 70 AD, this period here, and he's talking about, listen, these distresses are going to come upon, and you're going to see that as a branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near, and you know that the judgment that's going to come upon the nation of Israel, he's speaking to the disciples. And the, the temple's going to be destroyed. And the city's going to be leveled. And all the things we've talked about in the previous weeks that are going to happen in that immediate first generation in terms of the general distresses during the last days. They're going to come and pay attention to the fig tree. And when it becomes tender and puts out, out, out its leaves, you'll know that the time is near, he says. And then in verse 33, he says, so also when you see all these things, you know that he's near at the very gates. Christ is Really calling his people to live with a sense of urgency and watchfulness for the times. And we need to be men and women who are alert. That's going to be a real theme throughout this sermon today. Look at verse 34. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So these general distresses and all the uh, distresses of people being lead, led astray and the love of many growing cold and wars and rumors of wars and nation rising up against nation and false Christs and false teachers, even as John was talking about during the Pray for the Nation slot. It's going to happen in this time period. There's going to be persecutions and Christians going to turn against even in one another in terms of the, the, the battle that's going to take place and false prophets are going to arise. Many are going to fall away and betray one another and hate one another and there's going to be individuals turning against one another and lawlessness is going to increase, verse 12. And all these things are going to happen in building up to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD and Jesus is saying this generation is not going to pass away until all these things, these general distresses take place. Now, after the destruction of Jerusalem, they also continue to take place all the way until the second coming of Christ. But in 35, Jesus is saying here, heaven and earth will not pass away, or heaven and earth will pass away, but my, my words will not pass away. There's a few things to learn here. The need for watchfulness, and it, it marks every generation of true believers. And from Jesus' ascension... The church has been experiencing the distresses of the last days. And the church experienced the distresses building up to the great distress of 70 AD, like we looked at over the last number of weeks, the temple and the fall of Jerusalem. There were Christians martyred and suffering abounded along with the advance of the gospel. And Jesus Prophesying here is saying in verse 35, my words are not going to pass away. You can rely upon my word. My word is to carry weight and authority unlike anything else in your life. To be the authority in your life. Jesus saying, treasure my words. Treasure Christ's words, people of God. So excited. My wife Shannon was saying to me that there's in the neighborhood of 55 plus Women coming to the Bible study this week. Ladies, your hunger for the word of God, your desire to study it is just a real inspiration to me. And I, I just thank God for you. I, can we thank God for the godly women in our church? I just, I'm so grateful. <laughs> just all of you, just your heart for the Lord. Those of you who are able to make the study and those of you who aren't able to make the study. Your love for the word, your love for Christ in this church causes our church to shine all the brighter for Jesus. And I just wanted to say thank you. And we're to be built into the authority of the Word of God, the authority of Jesus' words. And Jesus is saying, you can count on my words that they'll be true. And here he's saying that my prophecy here, that that all this is going to happen in this generation, can be counted on. His prophecy about the temple being destroyed happened, brothers and sisters. And therefore, his prophecies about the return, his return at the very end, can also be counted on. For just as the temple was destroyed in 70 AD in Jerusalem level, and the nation of Israel had judgment brought upon it, brothers and sisters, the judgment is going to come at the second coming of Christ, just as Jesus is talking about here as well. And we can count on it. There's a certainty. And we're meant to, to anchor our lives into the Word of God and to cling to the Word of God, to know it, to love it. John often talks about this, that we need to be good Bereans who study the Scriptures and test even the teaching that comes forth to us from outside of the church, through media, and also inside the church. We want you always to test according to the Word of God, to know God's Word, to love it. Because Jesus' words are certain and can be counted on. The disciples at that time in this current generation Jesus is speaking to in this context in these first verses here in this opening section. The disciples at that time and in that generation from 30 AD to 70 AD as well as the church today awaiting the second coming of Christ they all endure through these tribulations that Jesus is talking about. You see that the people of God aren't spared going through the philipsis or the great distresses, the tribulations, the times of difficulty that come upon God's people. But we are looked out for and cared for greatly By our risen Savior and Lord. And even we see that care, that tender care of Jesus toward his people specifically, that when he actually prophesies about the destruction of Jerusalem, and when the Roman legions come and start to surround the city, he tells them to flee, the Christians. He tells them to flee. And many and if not all, the Christians escaped and fled to the mountains just like Jesus prophesied they should do here. And in verse 19, if you look in Matthew 24:19, Jesus actually says, And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. He's talking about the flight out around the surrounding Jerusalem area to flee into the mountains and to escape Christians who heed my words that are certain and valid and true. Christians did flee to the mountains between 66 and 70 AD and they were largely spared, if not all of them spared because those who listened and heeded the word of God, escaped. We see the providential care of Jesus looking out for his people, even in the midst of the distresses that are coming upon them and that they endure through. And, and we see also my wife Shannon pointed this out. It just, and I was reading it again this morning and I I couldn't help but just cry at just Jesus. He's concerned about pregnant women and those who are nursing infants. there's there's a there's an attention to detail in his care for his people that is given here that i think god wants to anchor you into and brothers and sisters for all of us as his people be reminded we are looked out for and cared for so tenderly by our precious savior during these times of great distress leading up to the second coming of christ jesus and his prophecy it delivers the christian safe and Remember, as First Peter 5, 7, that to cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let scripture remind you that he cared for this first generation of Christians after the ascension leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. And he's going to care for us all the way to the second coming of Christ when he gathers his elect together and brings us home. As you're in the midst of all your many distresses and you're enduring, take heart because, listen listen carefully, church, he sees it all. He sees everything you're going through. He knows it all and he cares for you in the details and he will sustain you just like he did with the disciples and the Christians in this generation. Trust him. Trust his word. His word will never pass away. Live trusting. One other point here in relation to this first point, that the Christians are rescued out from the judgment of God, but not out of the tribulations of this period and the great distresses that lead up to the second coming of Christ. We are called to, as verse 13 says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. There's a call for us to endure and to remember that Christ delivers us out from the judgment of God through the cross. But he calls his people to endure patiently the trials and the sufferings of these last days as we await and long for his return, as we anticipate the second coming of Christ and we trust in his word. And let it inspire us in our endurance all the way to the end. Because he certainly will preserve us and keep us as we live trusting in his word. Secondly, live ready. Live ready. Transitioning here to verse 36, Jesus says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. And he goes in and starts talking about just the the return of, his return and how it's going to be that no one knows the day or hour and also it's going to come suddenly it's going to come unexpectedly and we'll look at that in just a moment but 29 through 31 here in this section in this context talk about the second coming of christ and we looked at that last week that the heavens are going to be shaken verse 29 talks about when jesus returns and that every eye is going to see jesus at his return and i I saw a lightning flash the other day during a Violent thunderstorm and I just thought man, it's going to be visible like everybody's gonna be like whoa Get shelter It's just gonna be a glorious return of christ and it's not going to be secret. It's not going to be hidden It's going to be a glorious second coming his elect are going to be gathered You see there in verse 31 that he's going to send out his angels with a loud trumpet call And they will gather his elect from the four winds and i've just been marveling at the thought of angels coming And taking us to be with Christ upon his triumphant return. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Those of us who are alive on this earth as Christians, when the trumpet sounds, we will be gathered by the angels. Oh, that's going to be awesome. And the only ones that will beat us to Jesus, and this is meant to give us hope as well are our brothers and sisters who have died in the Lord and who are awaiting the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of their bodies. They, the dead in Christ, will rise first. And we, who are alive, who are left, we will be right on their heels as the trumpet sounds and Christ returns. We're going to arise and be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, as 1 Thessalonians 4 Talked about talk about that a little bit more in a moment But jesus is talking here. He's saying listen about that day He's he's transitioning here to the second coming and 29 through 31 He's talking about no one knows the day or hour and we must not be concerned about brothers and sisters naming dates As many have done throughout church history and it. It's even something that happens in our current days People are predicting dates as to when jesus is going to return jesus admonishes here in this verse not to do that many don't heed jesus's words here this is about living ready for the imminent return of christ it's not about us getting into a mindset of predicting dates that's unhealthy whenever you see somebody doing that and trying to get you to buy into that that's something that you shouldn't do it's something that we should always live ready and recognize that the return of christ is imminent without giving ourselves over to that this This aspect here of not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only knowing the exact day or hour. Speaking about Jesus here, this is a, a much talked about scripture. We need to recognize that Jesus is fully divine, and he's also fully human simultaneously when he took on flesh. Christ, the person of Christ, is two natures. He is fully human and fully divine. And the scriptures throughout the gospels talk about clear evidences of the the deity of Jesus Christ. And also Jesus' humanity is highlighted as well. And this is a passage that highlights more of Jesus' humanity that when he took on flesh, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. He emptied himself, not of deity, but he emptied himself of the, the prerogatives of deity. And, 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 and the full deity of Christ was, was cloaked in part during the incarnation willingly by him. He laid it aside so that as he was growing up, he didn't just know everything when he was a little child. He had to study and learn just other, like other little boys And other little girls do. He had to learn the scriptures, Jesus did. The word of God himself had to learn the scriptures. Think about that. He's humble. And here we see Jesus, and he's glorying in this. He's saying, I don't even know this. He's talking about in his humanity, which speaks to his dependence on and his obedience to his father, his willingness to come and be an obedient, suffering servant. His dependence on the father is so great One Christian said, It's a dependence reaching even to his knowledge of the divine. So Jesus' divine nature knows everything, he's omniscient. But Jesus' human nature, willingly because he humbled himself, expresses a dependence upon his Father reaching even to the knowledge of the divine. So Jesus is saying here to His disciples, not even the Son knows the day or the hour, but the Father only. And He revels in that. This doesn't in any way diminish the Son at all, but rather adds just luster to the glory of the person of Christ, fully human and fully divine. And let us worship Him for Christ being two natures, existing together And perfect hypostatic union is Christians talk about one person, two natures. The glory of our Jesus Christ. That description there he's talking about, he transitions from talking about not speculating on times and dates, exact dates, because no one knows that date or hour, in 37 and 38, he transitions to the point here is live ready For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware. See, this. here's the emphasis. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So they're just living their normal lives and judgment comes. And that's the parallel that Jesus is trying to make here. That everybody's going to be living their normal lives. And when I come back in great glory and judgment... It's going to be sudden and unexpected, like a thief in the night, he says later on in this section. And what's going to happen is look carefully at verse 40 and 41. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. And he says, therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So there's a need for us, church, to stay awake, to stay vigilant, to stay watchful, to stay and live ready for the return of Christ. That that should mark us as Christians. We should be a people prepared, a people living ready and on alert for Jesus to come back at any time. Verse 43, but know this that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming you Remember that language thief it's picked up again in first thessalonians 5 that we read a little bit earlier Um, if we knew the thief was coming He would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into therefore You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour. You do not expect When I was studying this passage, I couldn't help but remember brothers and sisters You Remember last week we looked at second peter chapter 3 verse 4 I'm just going to read that because it parallels this Scoffers are going to come in the last days and make note of this Scoffers are going to come and they're going to say Where is the promise of his coming? Where's the promise of Christ's coming and here's their logic listen carefully For since the fathers fell asleep all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation Everything's just going like it always goes people are marrying and given in marriage things are just flowing You've got people going and conducting their business as usual. Two women grinding at the mill parallel to one another. You've got two men in the field. All of that's going to be happening when Christ comes back and the trumpet sounds. Business as usual. Daily living. Marrying and being given in marriage. It's going to happen. And Christ is going to return like a thief in the night. And we must be ready for it. We must live Ready. This passage, I love this, these verses 40 and 41. Um, along with that passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, it's just talking about when the church is going to be caught up together with the Lord to meet the Lord in the air. Only beaten to Jesus by the dead in Christ who have gone on before us. The cloud of witnesses that are uh, in the presence of Christ right now awaiting The trumpet themselves and, and, and cheering all of us on as we shine like lightning bugs in our generation. And, oh, brothers and sisters, there's this, it's meant to give us great hope that those who have gone before us, who have loved Christ and who have died in the Lord, they're going to beat us there. It's meant to encourage you in the midst of grief. We've had some people in our church who've gone on to be with the Lord even though our history is short with only 15 years. In. And in my contacts, in my, in my emails, I have a list for those who have made it to heaven, safely home <laughs> through the years. The Lord will add to that list. <laughs> but they're going to precede us And beat us to Jesus when he comes back and the trumpet sounds. The angels are going to come and lay hold of us to gather us together to be there to meet with them. And they're going to say, hey, we beat you. (laughs) As Christ returns in great glory at the coming of the Son of Man in great glory and in great power on the clouds of heaven. Just as Jesus ascended in the cloud, the Shekinah glory of God, he's going to return with great glory. It's not going to be some secretive thing. It's going to be visible and it's going to be glorious. And brothers and sisters, it's important to note that Scripture talking about being caught up together with the Lord in the air or or popularly what's called the rapture. The the word rapture isn't a word that's actually used anywhere in Scripture to talk about that being caught up. But actually is a good word to use for it in in terms of being raptured or being caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. It's important to note that scripture accents that this isn't going to be with a mindset. We shouldn't think of being caught up or the rapture is sort of sort of with this escapism mentality. This is going to be at the triumphant return of Christ and we're going out to meet the conquering king coming into the city. I said this last week, but I just got to read this to you because I think you're going to love this quote. John actually pointed it out to me this week, and we were in our elders meeting. and We both just oh, we got fired up, didn't we, John? Thinking about this, listen to this carefully. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18. R.C. Sproul writes, This is Paul's teaching about what is popularly called the rapture. The rapture is the miraculous transportation of all living Christians to heaven at the return of Christ. Now, there's a lot of misinformation about this event, but this passage gives us some definite truths about it. Paul made it clear that Jesus' return will not be secret, but will be visible. It will be bodily a bodily return, and it will be a triumphant return. For he will not come in lowliness and meekness as he did at his first advent, but he comes in power and glory at his second advent. The angels told the disciples... This same Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And just as he left visibly on the Shekinah cloud, so he will come again visibly on this cloud of glory. He says. There's one view, one that is very widespread in the church today, that holds that Jesus will come back to rapture their church out of the world, but that the great tribulation will then occur, after which Jesus will return again. I think this view is a result of a serious misunderstanding of what the apostle described here in 1 Thessalonians. I once spoke with one of the leading representatives of this school of thought, a man who teaches the, quote, pre-tribulation rapture. And I said to him, I do not know a single verse anywhere in the Bible that teaches a pre-tribulation rapture. Can you tell me where to find that? I'll never forget what he said to me, Sproul says. No, I can't. But that's what I was taught from the time I was a little child. And I told him, let's get our theology from the Bible rather than from Sunday school lessons we heard years and years ago. Let us look at the events Paul described, where first he noted, the Lord himself will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the Lord's to meet the Lord in the air. The rapture, it's going to happen. Here we see that the purpose of the dead rising and our being caught up into the sky is not to go away, but to meet Jesus as he's returning, he will not be taking us out of the world to stay. He will be lifting us up to participate with him in his triumphal return. It's important distinction. Looking at this, and I want to want to just note here briefly that we're, we're, when Sproul was saying, "Let's not get our theology from bi- uh, from let's get our theology from the Bible rather than Sunday school lessons we heard years and years ago," I, I would add this one thing. When Sunday school lessons learned year and years and years ago are sound and faithful to the Word of God, we cling to them even to our dying breath. But I think it's a good point that we all need to be men and women of the Word, and we need to make sure that every doctrine that we believe, we believe because we have been convinced from Scripture that these things are so. We can't cling to systems of thought or isms or This ism or that ism. Schools of thought rather than to the scriptures themselves. There's also very popular teachings about end times and eschatology. And actually, I praise God for where those teachings have have caused curiosity and study of the word. And where those teachings, even though where they might be a little off scripturally, have caused people to become born again. And have been saved through the interest that was 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 generated through reading resources like that. And we need to give thanks to God for that, celebrate that, and not look down on any area of teaching or school of thought that might not be perhaps as pure to Scripture as a perspective that we have. We want to cling to the Word of God and also be generous in our heart toward others who believe maybe even a little bit differently than us in relation to our eschatology. One thought here about this Listen carefully, eschatology is not a primary doctrine. Eschatology or the doctrine of the end times, the doctrine of the second coming of Christ, it's not a primary doctrine. Christians can believe differently a little bit about the return of Christ and how it's exactly going to happen as Christians have done from the very beginning of the church and still fellowship together, unite together, celebrate Christ together, and because we're all awaiting the same one. It's Jesus coming back. The hows and whens and the particulars, there may be some points of disagreement that individuals have and even individuals in this church have. And we want to let you know that where you are convinced from Scripture that those things are the case, we celebrate that, applaud that. Let each one be convinced in his own mind according to the Word of God. There's going to be differences and where there's differences, not in particular to primary doctrines like the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ. That's a primary doctrine. If somebody says Jesus isn't God, you cannot fellowship with them. They're not a believer. But if somebody believes that particulars about the end are going to come about maybe just a little bit differently than the way you believe. Hey, it's all good. We celebrate Jesus and His return and, but we, we continue to study the Word. We continue to be good workmen and workwomen of the Word, learning the God, learning the Word of God, clinging to Jesus' words and seeking to be as pure in our doctrine, as sound in our doctrine as we possibly can be while remaining humble as we do it. There's something about Christian doctrine when Christians study it that can tempt Christians to become arrogant about their views. I think let's not be like that, especially in relation to, we have to remember, what do we have that we haven't received? And if we did receive it, why do we boast as if we didn't? If we've come to maybe a little bit more of a fuller or more mature knowledge of the truth, we need to give thanks to God and God alone for giving that to us. And we also need to recognize that there's areas of our theology that we have off. There's areas where one of the things we do as a church is we look at the church and the word of God. And we are always as the church, the reformer said, ever being reformed according to the word of God. We study the word and through the years, our doctrine will become more and more pure as we study the word of God, cling to the word of God. And that's true about eschatology as it is in every area of study and so, I want to say this, though, that just because eschatology isn't a primary doctrine, and so we don't need to divide over it if there's some differences, just because it's pri- it isn't primary doesn't mean that it's not important. Eschatology is an important doctrine. I remember years ago, we used to say, hey, you know, I'm a... I'm a I'm a pan-millennialist. It's all going to pan out in the end anyway. And so I'm not even going to worry about it or think about it or have any view about the end. Some of you may have heard that. and It used to be kind of a joke when people would start to uh, kind of work through their positions on doctrine. And I think it's important for us to have views of Scripture and to study God's Word and take it seriously. And to really recognize that, as one Christian said, our eschatology or what we believe about the second coming of Christ and the great judgment in the last days It's really the crown of our theology. I love that phrase. What we believe about the end matters. Knowing Christ is coming back is vital to your everyday life. Vital. I think we as Christians don't think about Christ's second coming enough. I think a lot of the distress and the burdens and the feelings that I I, I can't go on. I got to give up and I... Sometimes can happen because we don't have our eyes On the one who's coming To rescue and save us and to bring us home And sooner than we're even aware of And so With all that said I want to close the quote with this And I hope this blesses you I said it in freehand last week This is a quote that describes it again What the rapture really entails Biblically I think this is a great image Listen to this carefully R.C. Sproul says when the Roman legions were dispatched to go into a foreign country on a military campaign, their standards bore the letters SPQR, an abbreviation for Senatus Populus Qua Romanus, which means the Senate and the people of Rome. It was understood in Rome that the conquests of the military were not simply for the politicians who governed, but for all the citizens of the city. The army might be gone for a campaign two or three years. Finally, the soldiers would return, leading captives in chains. This is awesome. Listen carefully to this. They would camp outside the city and send in a messenger to alert the Senate. And the people that the legions had returned. And when the news arrived, the people began to prepare to receive the conquering heroes. When everything was ready, a trumpet was sounded. And with that, the citizens of the city went out to where the army was camped and joined the soldiers in marching into the city. The idea was that they, they, the people, had participated in the triumph of their conquering army. This is exactly the language that Paul uses here. He was saying that when Jesus comes back in conquering power, believers, both dead and alive will be caught up in the air to meet Him. Not to stay up there, but to join His return in triumph and to participate in His exaltation. Isn't that glorious? This is the exact imagery that Paul picks up later on as well when he's saying that we're always being led in triumphal procession in Jesus Christ. Do you remember that scripture? There is a note of victory that rests over every true believer in Christ here. You have been chosen by God, by His grace. You are one of His elect. If you have repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus' death on the cross, you are saved. But you are also awaiting the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if the trumpet blasts today, the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive, who are left, a great separation will take place from us with unbelievers. A person who is a Christian and a person who is an unbeliever will be standing side by side. And a Christian will be caught up. A Christian will be raptured and an unbeliever will be left. I think this is the image It's talked about here in the context the angels come and gather the elect from the four winds at the great trumpet and the nations those who have rejected christ as 29 30 and 31 say what did we look at last week what is their reaction they mourn they wail revelation one says but for us oh brothers and sisters it's the sum of all of our hopes it's everything we're clinging to. Christ is going to come. Do you realize this he's going to come and he's going to deliver you out of all these distresses and all These things that are perplexing you right now in this fallen world and all the times you think you're not going to make it And you just can't carry on anymore We're called to look to the second coming of christ and take heart that all of us in all the areas of our weakness and our failings and our difficulties and Walking out our christian life in the midst of this present darkness and these many discouragements and distresses and tribulations that are talked about here that jesus talks about oh friends that doesn't get the last word you know what gets the last word christ comes back and the trumpet sounds and the dead in christ rise and those of us who are here alive when it happens, we are caught up. We are raptured, you could say. We, but we are caught up. I like that biblical phrase we're caught up together to meet the Lord in the air as Jesus is coming back into Jerusalem to bring judgment on the nations, to bring justice on all those who were anti Christ and rejected him. He brings forth the final judgment. And so we will be with the Lord forever. This is meant to function in your everyday life and mine. Right now, I, like you, I'm plagued with so many different temptations in this fallen world. I read that last section there about as we're awaiting the coming of Christ, let us be ready and waiting. Let us be uh, like the faithful servant, the last point. Live faithful. And let's not live as the hypocrites do who will be judged on that day. I look and I see, oh God, my heart is so prone to wander so often. I still see the The desire for the world, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. I see it and I see the beckoning and the temptation. The second coming of Christ in this passage, the great judgment that comes upon hypocrites, but also, do you know the great reward? Look at the great reward. Verse 47, truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions the reward of the faithful who by God's grace were preserved and endured to the end. is going to be so great throughout eternity in heaven. It's not worth getting drunk here. Hold on. Don't give yourself over to sin. Young men and young women going off to college. When everybody else is going out and getting drunk, you stay behind and you don't participate in that. If you do go to a party, you go and you win people to Christ when you go. But you don't participate with that party spirit, drunkenness. You don't live in sin, in other words, as a Christian. You remain, by God's grace, faithful even as you have temptations pressing in on you because Jesus is coming back. This is meant to function in your everyday life. It's meant to fuel your passion for holiness that Jesus is coming back because you want to be faithful. You want to be ready. You know what it also functions with? Those of you who are weary right now and feel like you can barely go on because life in this fallen world has been so hard on you, You've been hurt so much by people and by life. You feel so discouraged sometimes. You don't even want to get out of bed. Remembering Jesus is coming back to rescue you. And he's already rescued you from the judgment. But that you are going to be caught up to meet your risen, victorious Lord in the air as He comes back to set up His eternal, earthly reign forever in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens and new earth. Oh yeah, Adrian, time to cheer, buddy. It's meant to cause you to say, as you look in the mirror in the morning, God, I can't do this today. but you're coming to get me soon. Help me, Holy Spirit. Fill me with your power today to continue to endure in these distresses. Help me to shine my little lightning bug light that seems so small, just my own little light. But together with my brothers and sisters in Christ's community, along with my brothers and sisters, the elect of the nations all the way around, oh, we shimmer in the darkness. And we shine brightly for Christ with our troubled lives. It's meant to cause you, my friend, to hang in there. Don't give up. Don't give yourself over to despair. Because the Lord has you. And he is never going to let go. Those angels are going to come. Those of you who have trusted in Jesus and his word. And you're going to be caught up. And you're going to see him face to face. And that day is not going to be a day of horror and mourning and wailing for you. But it's going to be the day of some of all your hopes and dreams. Better than anything you could ever imagine. Better than any pleasure you could ever have here. Better than anything that this world could ever deliver you. And I are going to see Jesus. We're going to see Him. Oh, so hang in there, brothers and sisters. And in your outlook, remember what my good friend Mickey Connolly said is the two-word summary of the book of Revelation and our glorious eschatology that we believe in Christ, we win. <laughs> we win. This is not a losing battle. You are in a fight, and I am in a fight, but we are going to make it, and we are going to win. We are being led in triumphal procession with Jesus Christ and it's not our victory that we boast in like, oh, look at us. Look at us. No, we say, look at Jesus. He's done it all. He's paid it all. He's atoned for all. Like the prophetic word came forward this morning. He has loved me. He has died for me. He's going to preserve me. He's going to keep me all the way to the end. And Satan, no matter what you try to do, do your worst. You're, you cannot touch God's elect. And who could ever separate them from the love of God in Christ? No, Satan. You are going down. We're going up. We are going up and we are going to win. We are going to be victorious. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. I'll tell you what, brothers and sisters, I need a little injection of that every morning when I wake up. Eschatology is meant to function like that in our lives to give us hope. And put wind in our sails and a skip in our step even on our darkest days. Ah. Tom, we got to worship. I want you come back. Church, let's stand. Let's prepare our heart to worship the Lord. Oh, Almighty God, we thank You so much. Help us to live trusting. Help us to live ready. Help us to live faithful. Help us to not get drunk as those who get drunk at night do. Lord, help us rather to be sitting there ready as the master of the house returns help us lord to not be taken by surprise when you come back like a thief in the night and lord i pray for everybody here anybody who's not repented of their sins help them to know jesus when that trumpet sounds the angels they wouldn't come back for them unless they repent and believe in you lord they would be left behind they'd be left back while your church is taken up and caught up and they would miss out But God, today is the day of salvation for those who are unrepentant. Help them to trust Jesus in you and in your finished work on the cross while there's still time. And Almighty God, for us, your people, help us to look to you right now this morning and remember that just as surely as you came and as surely as you rose from the dead and ascended, just as surely, Jesus, you are going to return. And we await the glorious return of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Almighty God, we thank You so much that we have this glorious return to look forward to. Help us to hold fast to Your truth and to Your words. Help us to cling to You with all that's in us so that we would be faithful. Help us to be ready and help us right now to live trusting in you, and in your finished work on the cross. We can't wait to see you, Jesus, face to face when you return. Thank you that we get to participate in the glorious victory of your glorious return and see it with our own eyes. We cannot wait, God, for that day. And it's coming quicker than we think. Let us worship the Lord, church. Amen. God, we just thank you so much that when you come, you are going to come triumphantly to take us to be with you forever on your glorious return. God, uplift the hearts of my brothers and sisters who are here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, give them a deep sense that they are yours, that they are one with you, Lord Jesus. And that because... Of your grace Lord they're saved From the judgment and the wrath to come Almighty God Lift up their heart With fresh assurance of salvation And Lord Infuse us all with a fresh sense Of the victory That is ours In your son Oh and Lord Fill us With a spirit of readiness As we your people await your glorious return we can't wait for that glorious day we love you Jesus we're so grateful that you died and rose again for sinners like us we love you and we can't wait to see you face to face in Jesus name amen uh church we got to give him a hand clap today for how awesome Jesus is we love you Jesus we love you we love you Go forward today and shimmer like the beautiful lightning bugs for Jesus. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.